0: G'day beer lovers, I'm Pete Mitchum and thanks to our very good friends at Bintani, this is a special edition of Beer is a Conversation. As part of the 2019 Northern Hemisphere hop harvest, Matt Kierkegaard and I hitched a ride with the crew from Bintani as they travelled to the US to make their final selections from the autumn crops. We piled into the GMC Yukon XL and headed north from Portland, Oregon to the Yakima Valley in Washington State, but before we hit the road we paid a visit to the Portland HQ of Indy Hops. A relatively new kid on the block, Indie Hops is an overnight success story, some 10 years in the making. The company began with a hop breeding program launched at Oregon State University back in 2009, which grew to include Oregon's first post-farm hop processing facility and an experimental hop program. Co-founder Jim Solberg and first employee Matt Sage are avid craft beer lovers, and as this chat shows, they bring a wealth of business and brewing experience to Indie Hops. Jim and Matt generously share their very different background stories before introducing us to Strata and Meridian, the latest hop varietals for which high hopes are held. Bintani provides a wide and varied range of products to assure that brewers can make the best beers for you to enjoy and we thank them for helping us to bring you stories like this one as well. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Jim Solberg, Matt Sage, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Happy to be here, guys. I, I guess the best place to start with any conversation is uh, give us a little bit of the uh, Jim and Matt story. Um, who, who are you? How did you come to be involved in the uh, the, the hop industry?
2: Right. Well, well, I'm I'm the Jim of the Jim and Matt story, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I I, uh, I guess my original career was at Nike uh, in the in the sporting goods industry for many years, and had a had a great run in the large corporate scene. Um, and wanted to get involved in some smaller businesses. So uh, it just so happened I, I uh, was an avid home brewer, had eight varieties of hops growing at home, um, and another buddy of mine that I'd grown up with in Corvallis, Oregon, it's down in the Willamette Valley, um, you know, had gotten excited about the idea of maybe getting in the craft beer industry. This was back in 2007, 2008. Uh, we were both big fans of craft beer and uh, and hops. Um, and being from Oregon, we looked for an opportunity to get involved via hops from from Oregon. Basically,
3: uh, my background is brewing. I was one of the uh, first craft brewers at uh, Bridgeport Brewing when they started way back in nineteen
1: eighty four. We saw a very old picture. Yeah, um, at, at, down at the at the Blue Pearl Tap Room. There's a, a couple of pictures of
0: the the old. bridgeport crew
3: oh you recognize me Uh, well that's right. i
0: I i'm sure we've met but i reckon that (laughs) might be it you need to get down there inside the safeway
3: oh i I have seen that yes that's that's a great great, that's brings back a lot of memories but um back then craft brewing was really new and and uh, people thought you were sadly naive that you were going to work for a brewery that was bigger than five city blocks but but that changed very slowly over the time so it's it's uh that's why craft brewing is, is such a huge part of the market in Portland, the majority of all beer sold is, but it's it's been a 35-year overnight success story. So,
1: so Matt, what got you into, in, in the, the very early days of craft, there's a real excitement and then there's a, you saw where there's a real gravity that pulls people in now, but what got you into brewing back in those early days?
3: Um, I'd actually worked at a winery for a few, a few years before that, including uh, one of, that was owned by the original owner of Bridgeport, and so that's how I knew him. And uh, I was living up in Washington, the state of Washington at that time, and when I found out he was starting a brewery, that's, I was a young man with not a lot of commitments or responsibilities, and so I, I was able to risk doing this crazy new thing without any guarantee it would last very long or I'd ever make any money at it, but um, it just seemed like a fun project. And uh, I was I think I was the second hire there, so uh, and we did back then. there was only five guys working there, and we did, we did every job and selling draft only, we didn't get into packaging for a while and uh, and uh, moved on kept going from there. How
1: f- interesting has it been to stand back and watch from from those early days when there was only draft? Everything I would imagine had to have been sold because there wasn't the market, existing market for it, in in those days. To see the vast change that, that has seen Bridgeport essentially become irrelevant um, and and, and closed down.
3: Well, there have been there have been several generations of uh, of brewers that have come and, and overtaken their elders a bit, and uh, different styles of beer changing, and. Uh, now with 8,000 breweries in, in the country, it's still it's still hard to fathom. Though most of those are very small, but that is what the original idea was back then. Nobody thought they'd have a national brand or be the craft version of Budweiser or Miller or anything like that. It was just uh, you know fresh and fresh and local. And in a way, I think we've come full circle in that those are the most successful ones now, and the ones with the most growth are the ones that are trying to be the best brewery in their town and not not the best brewery in the country
1: so tell us a little bit uh, matt and jim um, what was the idea behind indie hops um, maybe explain how the, the hop industry works in in in, in the u.s um, the the, the farmer owned um
2: right. consortiums right sure so well the idea around indie hops um after researching uh what was going on in you know around 2008 it was a market that was um in turmoil with respect to hops Uh, and with respect to beer in, in some respects, there was, um, one major, uh, factor was that the old family owned Anheuser-Busch, uh, business was, was about to be taken over sort of a hostile takeover by InBev. And, uh, we looked at that closely because, uh, at that time in, in Oregon, which was our focus for, 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 you know, a potential hot business, uh, 75% of the entire crop in Oregon was the Willamette variety, which was virtually all going to Anheuser-Busch, and it was the old family-owned Anheuser-Busch that that just really had a preference for that hop growing in in the Willamette Valley, um, just from a terroir standpoint. And uh, you know, we kind of felt, geez, that that's going to change, right? That's maybe going to go away when this kind of private equity firm uh, starts acting, you know, from a, a different base of motivations. Uh, than the old family-owned Anheuser-Busch. And so we saw that going on um, that would be a bit of a, um, kind of put the Oregon hop growing industry in a bit of turmoil. And we also, again, were big believers in craft. um, At the time... Pretty much, you know, the vast majority of the craft brewing going on, they were getting their hops from sort of leftovers from uh, from trial fields that Anheuser-Busch was doing, working with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to breed new varieties. They'd trial them. There'd be these, you know, hops falling off the big table, and those would get scooped up and repackaged and sold to craft brewers sort of thing. Um, but we figured they were going to have to grow out of that at some point, right? So, um, you know, we, we looked at Oregon, and we saw that, you know, in terms of the breeding of new hops, the, the, the focus was completely on breeding for um, for alpha, for, for high, high alpha acid varieties and bittering. And again, it was a focus on the big industrial brewing part of the equation. So we just figured, look, the craft thing's going to happen. And, you know, there will be a need for new hop varieties sort of thing. So really, the, we decided to go for it. There was no f- post-farm processing in, in Oregon. And so we built the first uh, post-farm processing in 809 uh well really in 09. I suppose it was um, being a, a pellet mill um, and uh, And packaging facility in the cold storage here. So uh, so that we'd be in position to to supply directly to the craft industry um, And at the very same time right at the beginning when we started we decided well Hey, you know, you can't bring sand to the beach and you need to have new hops it's going to be very important so we we ended up designing a uh you know a hops research and breeding program and partnered with oregon state university to do the genetics and agronomy evaluation part of that equation whereas we would set up to be ready to do the sensory evaluation market analysis market potential analysis um, and then be in position to launch new hops in into the marketplace once once they might start coming available it takes a a long long time in a breeding program we were told when we got started that we should figure on 14 years basically and so you know we we took that seriously but we thought there's got to be a way to get some through a little bit earlier but that's really kind of how how indie hops got started um to begin developing new hops um and at the same time put together the 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 capabilities to launch them into the marketplace.
1: You could have gone into the whiskey industry and had a product to market much quicker than <laughs> <laughs> probably could have. <laughs> right. So uh, explain how the business works because you're not a grower yourself. Uh, as a business, you contract farmers to grow the hops for you.
2: That's right. Yeah. So we uh, another thing we did in the very beginning was to develop some relationships um, with some some very good. Growers in the, in the valley here. Uh, we started out with uh, with two that we decided to go narrow and deep with. It was uh, Goshi Farms um, near Silverton, Oregon, and uh, Coleman Farms, um, who are who are based out of Saint Paul. But uh, we've we we kind of zeroed in on a, um, a a rather large farming operation of theirs outside of Independence, Oregon. Um, and uh, and so the whole idea was, you know, let the experts do what what you know. What they are experts in and that was to then partner with with multi-generation hop growing families and sign plant, you know contracts for them to put in particular varieties that we felt comfortable selling to the craft industry and we guarantee the crop for multiple years um and uh, you know, we kind of did it—the you know, build it first. Um, don't go out to the breweries and say, "Hey, here's our plan. Give us a contract, and we'll do it." It was, you know, build it first, and and then hit the road and say, you know, here's our plan, and here's the here's the product, kind of a thing.
1: Yeah. So, so when you kicked off, what sort of hops were you uh, what were you bringing to market? Because you, we're only starting to see your development hops come to commercial development phase now right so what were you doing what What were you selling in the first couple of years of uh, indie Indy hops
2: right well to get to get a start we we of course the only option we had was the uh, you know were, were the hops that had had come out of the US Department of Agriculture so these were so-called public hops uh, and there were big craft hops and so it's not like people didn't want them still it was Cascade Centennial Chinook Crystal Willamette uh, U.S. Tetnang, right, a whole whole list of them. And, um, you know, lager hops like Liberty and Mount Hood. Um, you know, at the time, there was a perceived shortage of hops in the craft industry because, like I said, they, they weren't contracting for the most part. Uh, they were taking the hops that just were readily available, and I think they thought they always would be. But then as they grew, um, as the craft breweries grew, all of a sudden, You know, they they found that without these contracts, they weren't able to get the hops they wanted to. So our timing was great in that sense. We could start with those hops that were available, right, to sell um, and develop relationships by being able to um, satisfy a a need that was a rather urgent need um, by the the burgeoning craft industry. The other thing that was happening at the time is there were a lot of breweries who, and let's just be frank about it, they were being... Quite taken advantage of by some hop suppliers. Uh, We saw people having to sign contracts for five, six years on basic varieties at, uh, you know, upwards of, um, I saw one that was over $30 a pound for Willamette. And this was a fairly large craft brewery, right? And so there was a ready audience that said, you know, absolutely, we're, you know, happy to talk to you, this little upstart coming in uh, to supply those those common hops at the time. And so we just figured that that would be our start. And we would hope we could get some new hops out of our, our developmental program as soon as possible.
1: And how many, I guess in the U.S. it's pounds. What sort of poundage are we looking at in, in terms of the hops that you guys are supplying year on year?
2: We, I mean, you know, we, we got up to, we never expected to become massive. Uh, we set up our pelleting operation to run a little bit slower so we could keep temperatures down, um, preserve the, the just harvested character, of the hops better than what the, you know, the super high output facilities were doing. Um, you know, and so we, we ended up getting to, selling around a million pounds a year of these basic hops. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, you know, we're, we're quite fortunate because, you know, those positive developments and getting a, a really good, um, you know, customer base uh, with those basic hops up to that level gave us that platform to be ready to, um, to start launching some new flavors into the marketplace.
1: Coming from a background at Nike, where do you learn about hops? <laughs> How do you go from shoes to hops?
2: Right. Well, well, you you don't. You, uh, you it was the home brewing part that that had me in that. Um, and then you make sure to find somebody like Matt Sage here, who 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 was a commercial brewer, um, who who could come and bring that that part to the table. Um, but uh, but I mean, I had a I had a great sense of beer as a beer consumer and as a home brewer and all that. Um, but you know, when you look, when I look back at my Nike days, there, there is one thing that is very, uh, very common between that, that experience and this experience. And that is that, that you're, uh, you're, you're living in, in the future, right? You're, you're almost always living two or three years out, um, you know, planning on your commitments to inventory, um, and trying to get demand, in place for that that time in the future at nike we were developing product lines um with an eye on the retail floor um you know and and the athletes to have the teams to have to be promoting the products um at least two years out into the future right you were always just simulating what what you needed to do to to make it happen for you
1: but you've taken on an industry where it's not a two or three year horizon you're looking at you you need to be projecting well what will brewers been wanting to do in 10 years time because that's the development window for for something like
2: hops it is yeah and it's in it, it's uh um you know you you really the only thing we could say for sure about what was going to be happening in 10 years time was that the craft industry would be much larger and they would be in um you know a very they they would there would be a great demand for new flavors, um, interest in flavors. Uh, you know, the expectation of a lot of breweries to come on the scene was there. And, uh, you know, it's one thing from the Nike days, I understood the need to differentiate, um, you know, whether you're a retailer or a different brand, um, these breweries have, you know, they, they want to find a way to differentiate. Right. And so to have some flavors out there, what are those flavors going to look like? I can't predict that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So now tell us one of the hops that, or in fact, the first hop that you've really uh, commercialized was an experimental hop that I think first got, was named in 2018?
2: Yeah, no, that's right. And, uh, and you know, the, 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 the trade name of the hop is Strata. Um, we named it after, after the, the many, many layers of, of flavor that it, uh, that it brings to beer. Um, uh, great depth to the hop. And it is the first one out of the program. We, uh, we first, Matt and I got to first see it. Um, you know from a single plant in 2012 and you know it it, when it hit the table and we were going through a just a dry rub evaluation and all these new genotypes that had come in and you know it clearly was special right you know you kind of pull away from it we try not to say anything first you know on an initial reaction because you want to let the other person go through not influenced by that sort of a reaction but it was it was pretty hard to uh, to hold it back because it had such a beautiful combination of, of, uh, of of fruits that blended together so nicely. This kind of passion fruit character that would come through, and it was, you know, sort of anchored in a in a kind of subtle way. It's a maybe that's an oxymoron. I don't know, but the uh, uh, cannabis component was was sort of like the you know, the wafting joint smoke from around the block type of thing, and it just was something you're thinking I could just taste a beer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Matt, what, what do you look for? When, when you're looking at, at hop varieties, how do you, do you smell something on, on, on the um, sensory table and project that into a beer, or does it have to actually get into the kettle or into the, the, the fermenter to actually get those flavors um, expressed properly in the beer? Well,
3: the first part that would raise our interest would be just the smell on the, on the dry, dry rub and uh, the most promising ones we see about 150 varieties come through that we at least give a dry rub from the breeding program that uh, Dr. Townsend at Oregon State um, sends us. Um, he only sends us hops that have a reasonable disease resistance and uh, I think there's no, really no point going farther and, and obviously grow, grow very well. So we'll go through and look at at the dry hop, and and many of them are pleasant, but very similar to hops that are already out there. So we're looking for something distinctive, or if not that, a uh, a flavor similar to a to a hop that's out there, but is rather difficult to grow. Centennial is a great example of that. It's has a unique flavor, um, but it, it's a very temperamental plant to grow. So if we could find something, that's people have moved on a bit to. To newer varieties, but uh, I think Centennial will be around for a while. And if we happen to find a Centennial-like plant that grew much stronger and more reliably, then that would be a plus. But, but um, we don't have as many uh, preconceived notions, and that's certainly the interesting thing about hop breeding is the amazing variety of flavors you get you get out of the hops that come out of the program. In the past, breeding has been trying to find a better growing or a, a Hollertown Mill fruit that grows well in the United States it was trying to find you know a very prescribed idea and, and match that whereas now just like with craft craft brewing um, you know interesting flavors are, are welcome no matter where if, if they come out of left field but it's a uh, we just don't th- and then the next step would be to try a benchtop dry hop because often they the impression is very different once you put it in beer compared to on the on the dry rub. Some hops that are seem quite spectacular on the dry rub disappear in the beer and vice versa. Others that are very unexceptional on the dry rub they just go in the beer and the flavors just keep going and going and going and even if they're, you know, and many times they're very unique as I was saying it's amazing all the flavors that, that can come out of hops that have been not been been passed up in former breeding times because they didn't match match a preconception of what they should be. So, but you really can't tell until you get it out to brewers and we just started the process with our existing customers and rather than just spreading it thin around the world everywhere, we've worked with a few people because we don't have very much hops to work with and, and made sure there was enough for them to go back and do it again and maybe their neighbor, neighboring brewers became interested in it because they had a beer at their, their pub was like that. So to try and have focused places where people can continue to work with it rather than have a situation where everybody can brew at once and can't get any, any more for a while. So not sure if I got off, off question on that too no, much, no, right? no, no, no. <laughs> it, it's
1: a conversation,
0: as we like to say. Pete, you, we go where the conversation goes. There's one thing I'd like to pick up on um, that Jim touched on, and, and Matt, you did as well, in terms of the Bridgeport experience. And Jim, I think you, something along the lines of, you know, uh, the brewers around here were prepared to give the little guy a go. To what extent? And, and I look at, I guess, the similarities between um, a lot of Australian culture and Portland culture specifically. It's that coffee. It's um, but it's all, but it's not. You don't see a McDonald's and a Burger King on on every second corner. You see the little, the the small, the individual roasters, that sort of thing. So, to what extent does I guess that attitude of supporting the small guy help you? in terms of indie hops
2: it's been huge for us because we really designed the the business to to uh focus on those types of breweries and that's kind of where the name indie came from um but uh but the fact that there can be um i mean we sell to some very large breweries as well uh we want to sell hops and, and we, we, we've been fortunate to be able to to do that, but to be able to have a wide um, spectrum of smaller breweries who are more interested in in the flavor profile of the hops they, they're getting. Not, not a, like it doesn't have to be a new hop with a totally new crazy flavor, but just the character of their cascade or a, a common variety. Um, so
0: less of a commodity and less more. Less of a
2: commodity one a that character. is. We, we did set up to, um, you know, our, our pellets do, they, they work quite a change in the industry. Now there are others doing what we did. We, we, we slowed it down a little bit and uh, we don't need to use liquid nitrogen to cool the pellet dye when, where the, the, the hot material is extruded through. Um, you know, if you push it too aggressively through that dye, you develop a lot of friction. You you burn some of the hot material and you, you degrade the character. And so um, we took a different approach and having breweries that, you know, their priority was, I want my beer to taste really great, right? Um, you know, they then took that seriously and responded to what we were doing. So, in that respect, it's very important to have those people. I think another thing is um, is just the the uh, diversification of, of the industry, right? Where we can we can have some large breweries. We have a number of large ones, but to have a you know a wide range of, of medium and uh, and even just you know the the little the really little neighborhood, you know, five five barrel size. brewery kind yep. of a thing, yep. right? Um, is a wonderful, you know, spectrum of you know kind of portals into the various markets across the country. You know, and now we're excited to, to see it go into some other markets.
0: And uh, just on, that, the is United is it pretty much Portland area or Oregon brewers for us, your customers? No, or? no,
2: we're across the United States. Okay, um, and uh, pretty evenly spread out across the United States. Um, wherever you see clusters of craft breweries right I mean whether it's Austin or some of the Great Lakes areas are great craft brewing Colorado is, is, is has been an early craft brewing region type of thing um, and so um, you know we, we're, we have customers in all those places and on the East Coast uh, especially in, in, in New England Um but it really goes up and down the whole eastern seaboard kind of a thing. So it's as craft brewing, as the laws have changed state by state, and as craft brewing has moved in on the fresh local movement across the country, we've we've seen our business go with it.
0: And for the two of you, to what extent do your quite different, but I guess in some way similar corporate backgrounds, you know Bridgeport obviously being a, an icon, um and to and to sort of see that as, I guess the you know the behemoth that surely could never go under, and then all of a sudden become irrelevant and close. Nike being obviously you know the the, the trendsetter, you know, turning shoes into sneakers, and and you know really creating that culture around what at the end of the day is just a very utilitarian product. Do you bring any of your backgrounds, I guess, to either cautionary tales, of you know let's you know let's not assume that we're gonna.
3: Well, at the time Indie Hop started started up, and when I started working for them in in two thousand and ten, there were only a few large hop suppliers, international suppliers, not entirely unlike when I started brewing in nineteen eighty four, when there were just a few large brewers, and and people, you know, some people you talk to be very skeptical that a small player could do anything, but. Uh, you asked earlier about Jim's background in nike and and being applicable. we're We are in such uncharted waters with the whole evolution of the craft industry now that it's it's new for everybody. So it's not really a dis- a disadvantage.
1: Just wanted to pick up a, a little bit about the stratahop because you talked about uh, it was the Oregon uh, University. Developed the hop, and it came out of that process. So, does that make it a public hop, or is it a proprietary hop these days?
2: So it's it's actually so the the program we developed is the Indie Hops Research and Breeding Program, and so it it, it involves many facets. And you know, um, you know, clearly the the part that um, that encompasses the genetics and the agronomy research. Um, you know, that is a, a huge part of a, of a breeding program, um, but we look at it as, as part of what we do. And so we, we, we contracted Oregon State to do that part for us. Um, and so we pay for that entire service, mm-hmm. yep. essentially. So the program is ours and hops that come out of it, um, you know, end up belonging to us, yep. uh, since we, we fund everything and, um, and then we take all the risk to, to put it into the marketplace.
1: And, and, and it's a huge investment. To, to, you, it is. To, yeah. to, to, and a long, over a long period. It of time. is.
2: It's a, it's a huge roll of the dice, uh, in the, in the future. So you really have to be a believer and, uh, um, and that, that, that investment continues because you, you 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 launch a new hop. Of course, nobody has a beer in the market with it because it didn't exist, uh, but you need to have it supplied. And so you enter into a five- or six-year – we did six-year contracts with our growers um, – uh, in the beginning, and uh, you know, put in fairly sizable fields because we were confident in the hop, mm-hmm. um, and we we you know guaranteed that entire crop for six years. So, what sort of
1: uh, acreage are we seeing with, with Strata this this year in twenty well, nineteen?
2: Well, you know, what we, we to, to include the plantings this year, um, I mean, uh, you know, from the twenty twenty crop, we'll be looking at, at at a million pounds of just Strata. So, wow. you know, we launched it in two thousand from the eighteen crop. Um, and, you know, we're seeing the, the brewing through 19 from that crop. Um, and, the, you know, the crop coming next year is going to be as big as our entire business was, you know, with all those other hops. <laughs> and so you can see the power of a, of a new exciting flavor uh, right off. And it certainly gave a, us a big sigh of relief, um, you know, having gone, you know, out on the limb planting all those all those acres and so it's given us confidence to 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 increase the acreage and continue expanding it even again ahead of contracts you really have to go on the response you're seeing with beer drinkers in the marketplace and then subsequent to that the the brewers respond um, you know you can tell that they start making long-term decisions on beers that they're developing
3: it was quite a few years before the great majority of brewers were aware of it in, in 2018, that we've been working with a smaller group of people, our longtime regular customers, that gave us the confidence to do that, to have these big initial plantings without contracts seeing the response. And so it's many people think like it's something that just came on the market with a splash, but actually it's been, been working in the background for quite a while that gave us, that well, gave us the nice confidence to do that
1: so. are a long time coming. But Matt actually, while you've got the mic, maybe you can, as a brewer, um, tell a little bit about the characteristics of uh, strata and what it brings to a beer and how you found it expressing itself through the beers that you've tried.
3: Well, it's such a new hop. Um, the book really hasn't been written on all the ways you can use it and different flavors you can get out of it. Um, certainly, we've seen a difference and something we'd actually like to do a, a study with the uh, fermentation science department at Oregon State on is um, when it's used in the brewing process either you know late hot side addition or a post fermentation but pre-cooling addition a lot of people do that or a cold dry hop all gives to all seems to give quite different characters and there's been kind of a uh, an assumption that the earlier in the process the brewing process you would lose more flavors but In in beer, just speaking of hop additions in general, but with Strata, it seems like you get more different layers of flavor um, using it earlier in the process than just at at the end. It's not like a lot of flavors are created during the brewing process or brought out by esterification with yeast, um, liberated from bound precursors. And so I would uh, encourage brewers to keep an open mind on different places they use it in the beer, but, but... um, I th- I would say there's just what's really appealing about strata is the spectrum of flavors that can be can be uh, realized from that one hop.
1: Just even uh, hearing you talk in terms of things like bound precursors and uh, the, the language of hop usage over the last decade from a brewing perspective, our, our understanding of the way hops chemically work in beer seems to have drastically changed as well.
3: It, it has drastically changed. Um, there was very little and there's still really no guidelines. Everyone would like a uh, an alpha, like a IBU or alpha acid indicator, some some number you could put on a hop to uh, determine its its uh, hop intensity in beer. And it, I don't really think it exists. It's so the compounds are so complicated, and the interactions are so complicated. There's there's really nothing better than the you know the human nose for doing that. And and people are trying very hard to look for. For guidelines, but they're just not there yet. So, so again, I'd say an op- open mind on, use, on using the hop. And then I guess that's where the craft in craft
1: beer business comes from—from from the, uh, the 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 nose to to the creativity of the brewer and how they use it in the brew house.
3: Yes, I heard, I heard somebody give a definition of craft brewing. It's where the brewer is one of the ingredients. So that's. Okay. <laughs> um
1: jim you you've made this huge investment. you found a hop that people are really responding to now is the next fear, I guess at no stage do you ever relax because the next fear is how long will it stay uh, flavor of the month, so to speak?
2: right <clears throat> yeah that that's exactly right we 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 think hard about uh, you know just just what do we think is the longevity uh, of a hop that we launch? and um you know, so just on that on that topic, we're we're pretty confident that Strata has a has a has a long life. Um, you know, just the just the 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 response from the unique flavors and aromas that beer drinkers have to the hop, they keep coming back to it. And um, you know, it it's we, we we've seen that over a number of years now, and it, it's it, it's in a time in, in the market where there are a lot of new hops being launched into the marketplace. Uh, It's, it's, it's mind boggling how many are coming through Um, and we watch them. But, uh, but nearly all of them, of course, most brewers will try them, right? But they try them once, you know, we're, just finishing off selection from the 2019 harvest right now of brewers coming through to select the lots that they prefer. And, you know, we talk with all of them and it's, it's been amazing how many of them are tiring of doing that because they're not finding very much that is unique. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're very mindful to, to try to not do that. We don't want to put a hop into the marketplace that, yeah, we'll get a, get a bump, but you know, you'll get that, you know, so-called boom splat effect and uh, and that splat is no fun at all. So um, so we want to be comfortable that a that a hop has um, has a long term because of its uniqueness um, and and its and its performance um, in terms of being able to, to supply it well at you know this particular hop. I I should add it has tremendous disease resistance. The farms can grow it with um, um, a lower frequency of chemical inputs. Um, it, it has very very good yields for them, and so the farmers they love they love to grow the hop, which helps helps a ton and, and is important in the marketplace for the certainly for for you know when you start talking about you know year round beers for for breweries. and so you know <clears throat> what's next I guess is is one of the questions and again we 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 are looking long term and we're 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 pretty pretty interested in uh in in. Let's just say, call them lager hops. Um, there are a number of them out there. Uh, there are also some things changing in the world. Uh, we've seen a lot of difficult years recently coming out of Bavaria, where you know we 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 think that uh, that the very best lager hops in the world come out of there you know there's some good ones here in the u.s but they're not as good as the ones that come out of bavaria but um they're they're really seeing difficult times in their growing region with respect to heat and drought um and uh, brewer after brewer is telling us how much more difficult it is to get high quality hollertal Mittelfruh and hersbrooker and some of the other hops that come out of there that are so awesome and uh you know we're not only thinking about german style beers but um you know we we did move for the final phase of trials in a hop that you know, we think goes toe-to-toe with the very best German lager hops, but it has you know, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, flavor and aroma character that can come in and, and, uh, and you know, we, think, we think go into what seems to be a style of lagers that is getting more popular where, where they're a little less bitter, um, and they, they trade that out for a little bit of hop flavor, a little bit of hop aroma, and they're still very crisp and, and refreshing.
0: I think you beautifully anticipated my next question and, and pretty much answered it there because I was thinking to myself, strata is obviously the focus at the moment and uh, not that all the eggs are in the one basket, but that's obviously all of your attention is um, deservedly going towards promoting and, uh, and, and developing that. But then I think about when we first started the conversation, we were talking about 2009, when this whole, I guess, the process started. So presumably there's the next strata is already presumably two or three years in the oh, planning yeah. or yeah, yeah. right and so we so have a
2: pipeline we definitely have now yeah. the pipeline has begun and and so it, it's that fun time that we were you know chomping at the bit to get to um and we're here now we, we were fortunate with a great initial release um we don't you know we don't want to just randomly release hops out there we have some that we we think are awfully good but so far we're not confident enough that they're so unique that uh, um, that we should should go through that effort of launching it um and make those multi-year commitments with the farms, et cetera. But we're getting close on some.
0: And is the thinking that okay? Rather than try to improve on or um, breed from Strata and do a, a different version of, is the thinking? Let's come out with not the next Strata, but the first.
2: It, it is the first
0: of its own. Whatever. Yeah. It, it whether whether it it's a line hop. And or, so
2: you know, one of the things we do in the program um, is, uh, and and this this serves. This there's a couple of different masters. Is uh, we we bring um, we try to try to diversify the the genetics that come into the into the the hop pool basically the gene pool. It's um, we, when we got started. It was a case where the U.S. Department of Agriculture they were asked, as Matt had pointed out, they were asked to copy try to get u.s analogs for hollertal middle fruit check saws you know so on and um so in came you know all these european parents and these offspring and we just have an extremely narrow gene pool in in hops right so that creates some issues with disease resistance and other things and one of the very first things in the design of the program and, and sean townsend the, the oregon state geneticist was put on the point. Is really good at this. is is diversifying. He's bringing in the the wild American um, genes and uh, and basically it's it because we're not trying to copy something. You can try all these things. He wants them to include great disease resistance um, and other agronomy characteristics, good yield but and good yeah. resin. Yeah. So yep. when you when you bring all that into the mix, you're going to get some crazy flavors and aromas and that's what we're looking for but it has to be one that people respond to in beer
1: jim it's your business so forward focused and looking quite a way over the horizon in in terms of projecting and planning what are your predictions for the the way that the beer industry is going to go what what are the styles that you see or the, the trends that you guys are sort of expecting to blow up over the next couple of years
2: well, I mean, my predictions, it, it, it has to be quite general. Um, there, there is so much happening, but, uh, you know, I, I feel that there is still a lot of growth potential. Um, just speaking to the U.S. market here, um, in many parts of the country, we, we uh, again, Matt alluded to this earlier, we, we sit here in Portland, Oregon, and in the entire state of Oregon, uh, you know, it's somewhere around 80% of all draft beer sold is craft beer and uh that's an amazing number right it's it's not even close to that anywhere else in the country but uh we got an early start right it was in the in the early 80s and uh there were there were favorable laws um and a public that responded to it really well so i i i think it will expand still um, primarily on the shoulders of the uh, that fresh local platform right of course there's room for just really outstanding breweries distributing across um, markets, et cetera, um, and, and many of them are doing a great job of that. There'll be room for a certain number of them, probably not as many as are out there right now competing for shelf space, right? But um, but but I feel like that's still the direction it's going. In terms of beer styles, it, I think it's, um, I can't say what we think it's gonna be. I did allude to those, the lower, lower alcohol, um, but not giving up uh, luscious, balanced uh, combinations of malt character and hop character uh, in a lower alcohol format. I think that the um, the so-called session IPAs. Uh, were kind of a bust uh, to a certain extent because they're they're just not a balanced beer um you know there are other other things out there the so-called IPL which was probably probably more an effort to get somebody to think it's an IPA right because yep. people would buy an IPA no matter what right but the IPLs were also very out of balance but I think people are starting to to, to vector in on what that might look like it's 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 uh it's a lot of it has to do with bringing the right format in beer flavors and textures um, to find what consumers respond to. The recent example, obviously, are the hazy the hazy Have we it's reached been- pick
1: haze yet, do you think? Please tell me yes. Well,
2: I mean, it's <laughs> it's been a it's been a really entertaining thing to watch. A lot, you know, the brewers are like, "Are you kidding me?" It's that everything is we the were talk- best way I've de- had
1: it heard it described. It's an entertaining thing to watch. <laughs>
2: it's been very entertaining, but uh, but the thing that you can't deny is it proved that uh, there are a lot of consumers out there who would rather have smooth, um, you know, and not so bitter. Uh, um, hop characteristics in their beer and so I think there, there's a lot to be to be learned from that and uh, you know that just that happened it it helps um, broaden the craft beer industry and create some excitement and I think there are going to be some other beers um, that, that you know there are so many people doing a great job of, of trying new styles that uh, it, it will be found.
1: Matt do you have any uh, as a brewer do you have any uh, predictions or favorite beer styles or styles you'd like to see really come to the fore?
3: Well, those are those are two different different questions. Um, I I mostly talk to brewers, not consumers, so I have a better idea of what what brewers are looking for, which are more balanced beers and uh, lower alcohol. But as far as the consumer, where consumer trends are going, um, I, I really have no idea. It's it's already surprised me, and I think it will continue to. Most brewers have no idea what their customers are going to want to be drinking three three or five years years from now, and, and therefore we don't. We don't either, but... Uh, it, it.
1: It, it's a great ride watching. It is. And, and there are it some is. great beers being thrown up that no one would have predicted, I guess.
3: And it's not, you know, because beer really shouldn't be so dependent on one one variety only, and, and most brewers take the attitude that they have these... Um, think of a better phrase in flavor buckets, but you have these arrows in your quiver, these flavor arrows, and, and you want to have a whole palette of them that you can use, and you can use those same that same palette to make different styles styles of beer. And so that's sort of the level, I think, of it for our hop, for our hop development is to provide brewers with the ability to follow the styles as they go with this choice of this, this spectrum of hop flavors to choose from.
1: I think that's as good a place as any to, to finish it. So uh, Jim Solberg and Matt Sage, thank you very much for joining us on Beers of Conversation. And uh, we look forward to trying some beers uh, with Strata Down Under very, very soon. All
3: right, thank, thank you. you.
0: Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at BruiseNews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation.